And good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> I'm not that nervous. I'm just kidding. I'm really nervous. Um, I've, I had the pleasure of um, being asked by Pastor Tom to, to give a word to you t- today, so excuse me, it's my first time, but I'm really excited for what God has placed in my heart and, you know, for you. So before we get into the word, I just want to set up the scene, you know, set up a scene to, to see what's happening right now. And in this moment, Jesus is in, is in Jerusalem, and it's the first day of Passover, and he's with his disciples, ready to dig into this huge feast. And during Passover in Jerusalem, it is packed. So imagine trying to go to Central, or I'm sorry, Times Square on New Year's Eve. That's how packed it was during Passover in Jerusalem. Every hotel was packed. Every restaurant had no more, no, they couldn't accept any more reservations. Everything was packed. But somehow Jesus had made a way to to reserve a nice, large, well-decorated room for him and his disciples to enjoy their last meal together. And unfortunately, this was the day that Jesus had some bad news for his disciples. But I mean, to be fair, throughout his ministry, he's been telling his disciples this over and over again, that eventually he would have to die. But this time it was going to be different. This time Jesus needed to deal with a problem among his friends at the table among the people that he's been pouring into for the last three and a half years. The, his disciples, these 12 men that he handpicked each one to follow him during his ministry. And these people were, were laying at his side, they were resting at his side, traveling with the greatest mentor, preacher, uh, teacher that could ever live um, in this world. And he needed to make sure that he pointed out a problem so that they could fix it, you know, some character flaws, before he would have to pass on and he wouldn't be physically with him, and so that they could be in charge of raising up his church. So, just a side note, we're all handpicked by Jesus, we're all handpicked by God, but we also have some character flaws that we need to take out before he can pour in and use us for his glory, amen? So we need to figure out what is holding us back, and Sometimes we immediately think, oh, it's our weaknesses that are holding us back. It's because I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that. But what if I were to tell you that maybe your strengths are the ones that are holding you back? Right? We, we think that we're so good at something that we begin to judge others without even being in their shoes. So when you see a situation from the outside and think, well, if that would have been me, I would have done it better than that person. Or... Or I would have never done that because I'm a real Christian, but you've never been in their situation. And you know what that's called? That's called self-righteousness. You've never been in their situation or in their shoes, but your self-righteousness, what you think are your strengths, are holding you back. And we might not always blurt out these things out loud, but in our minds it's going on. And that's what's holding us back. So during the Passover feast, Jesus weeds out one of his disciples. And we all know who that is, Judas. By saying that he's going to betray him. And this is where tension starts. Because Jesus now revealed that one of his best friends was going to betray him. And everyone at the table is wondering who it is. They're probably not even enjoying their meal anymore. Or enjoying being next to Jesus anymore. And so we, we probably all had a very nice Thanksgiving meal with our families, right? Um, maybe some of us not so much. But... 
Imagine this. You're walking into the house of whoever turn, whoever's turn it is to host the dinner that day, and you walk straight into them having an argument. And you can physically feel the tension in the air, and it's not so comfortable anymore to be there, you know, especially when you're supposed to celebrate family, being together, uh, happiness, gratitude. So you don't feel comfortable anymore because this tension is, is there in the room. And this is exactly what the disciples felt when, they were, when Jesus was telling them about this. And all of them said, surely not I. So I want to read in Mark chapter 14, verse 27 and 28. And if we could put that on the screen. On the way, Jesus told them, and, and they were on the way to the Mount of Olives. So they were out of the room already, and they were on, the, on their way to the Mount of Olives. Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. We have a natural tendency to see ourselves as the hero of every story. But our nature is actually to be more like the villain. See, Jesus is the hero in here, in our lives, to save us from our own self-righteousness and to pick us up when we fail. Not if we fail, but when we fail. Amen? So Jesus is the hero, and we are the villains. And I'm going to paraphrase what Jesus is saying here in verse 28. He says, you're, going to, you're saying you're never going to betray me, that you're never going to do that, that you'll never abandon me, but you will, and when you do, I'll be coming to redeem you, and I'll see you in Galilee when it's all done. Amen? I'd just like to take a minute to pray right now. Amen? Thank you, Father God, for this opportunity to bring this word to your people today, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that whatever flows out of my mouth, Lord God, that it's a word from you, Lord Jesus, and not from me, Lord Father God. Touch our hearts, Lord Father God, starting with me, and then to your, to your people here gathered today, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So throughout this tension on the Mount of Olives, every single disciple was trying to prove themselves righteous to Jesus. Peter was feeling specifically or specially convicted since he knew who he was before everything started. From the beginning, he admitted it. In Luke 5, 8, he says to Jesus, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. And it's good to be honest with yourself about who you are. It's not even about if I declare it, then that means it's going to happen, it's going to come true in my life. No, it's about knowing who you are when you compare yourself to Jesus. Amen? So Peter at this moment was probably thinking about all of his weaknesses and and trying to figure out if any of them were going to cause him to be the one to betray Jesus. He became suspicious of himself. If I knew all my weaknesses, I would become suspicious of myself too. He was probably so wrapped up in his head that he probably wasn't even listening to what Jesus was saying anymore. Which brings us to verse 29. It says, Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And I like the way the message says that. It says, Peter blurted out. What does blurting out cause? Blurting out causes the the natural flow of a conversation to automatically stop. 
If you're having a natural conversation with somebody, if they interrupt you, if they blurt out something that's not part of the conversation, the, the conversation is over. And what, caused, what causes people to blurt things out? Well, I did some research, you know, like every other millennial. You go on Google, you type in. So psychologists say that those who blurt out tend to focus on short-term goals when an interpersonal argument. This means they, they speak whatever comes to their mind first without even processing it. They just want to win the argument. But we know that when we blurt things out, it just causes embarrassment and regret. Maybe you know someone like that who's, who's constantly interrupting your conversations. One of, actually, one of my best friends, I can have a conversation with him, but sentence by sentence, he's always blurting things out, interrupting the conversation. I can't have a conversation with him. I can't. And I'd rather actually have a conversation online because at least I, like, we'll have a record of what we're talking about so we can go back to reference. But face-to-face, I cannot. So when Pastor Tom uh, messaged me the verses to, that I had to preach on, you know, naturally I prayed so that God would minister and touch my life first so that I could come up here and minister to your life. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, I asked God to, to speak to my life. And I was a little scared. But in my mind, I thought I was ready. But I don't think you're ever ready when God wants to teach you a lesson about something. So just as I was uh, doing research about blurting out, I thought to myself, very self-righteously, who did Peter think he was to interrupt Jesus like that while he's speaking? I mean, growing up, you know, I'm Hispanic, and at the table, my father is speaking. If I blurted out something, I would immediately get this look, like, you know? I, I couldn't even do that to my, to my earthly father, and I imagine doing that to Jesus, the Son of God. So the reason that Peter was like that is because he wasn't very stable or reliable, like his name implies. Because, you know, Peter um, means rock. Um, much like a person named Joy... Maybe you know someone that's named Joy, but they're not very joyful. Or a person that's named Hope, but they're not really hopeful. Peter was like that. He wasn't very reliable. He wasn't very stable. Peter was always blurting things out. And we can see that an example of that when he told Jesus to let him walk on water. He was like, Master, if it's really you, tell me to come walk on water with you. And that's in Matthew 14, 28. He was also constantly being rebuked by Jesus. And I could go on. There are plenty of examples in the Bible. So I began to think to myself, if I would have been there, I would know better than to blurt out dumb things in front of the Son of God. You know? Very self-righteous thing. And then as I was thinking about that, I bit my tongue. I, no, I literally bit the side of my tongue. And I, I don't know how that happened, but my tongue got very swollen and very sore to the point that if I wanted to say something or open my mouth to say something, I would have a paralyzing pain in my mouth. And that's an issue because I work at a, at a preschool with, with small children who I constantly need to, they need to hear my voice. I also teach on Wednesdays and I was like, man, what am I going to do? I remember coming in one Wednesday and I just sat in the nursery, and I was, like, feeling really down. And I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to teach today. And my husband was like, man, you should have just, you know, stayed home, canceled. And I was like, no, I got to do it. Thank God that, that, 
the whole hour that I taught that lesson, it didn't hurt me, but right afterwards it came back. Uh, so this pain wasn't like any other. It paralyzed my mouth every time I wanted to say something. And I thought, I thought to myself, Lord, I don't even talk a lot. I'm not much of a talker. I mean, I only need my tongue really to, to teach, you know, or to go to work. Um, and then I, it wouldn't go away. So I tried negotiating with God, which is always a bad idea. Don't do that. Don't negotiate with God. I said, Lord, take this pain away, and, and, and then I'll go evangelize. And then I felt God, Jesus rebuked me and said, you should be evangelizing anyway, not just if I heal your tongue. So, um, so that didn't work out. And then I said, Lord, but I never blurt out like Peter blurts out. So just please take this pain away. And as soon as I said that, I started to realize something. Every time I wanted to interrupt the conversation or blurt out, and um, I felt I would feel my tongue rub against my teeth, and it would stop me from opening my mouth. I, every day, every morning, I take um, Route 80, by, the exit by Patterson, and I, there's a point that I have to merge on 280. And every time that I wanted to open my mouth about someone's driving skills, I would feel that pain in my mouth that would stop me. And it wasn't until I realized that my self-righteousness was the cause of my interruption, that I, was, that I was exactly like Peter, that my tongue actually healed the very next day. So it was a very, very painful but important lesson that God wanted me to learn. Amen? So now I want to read in verse 30, um, still in, in Mark chapter 14. And it says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Peter, very much like every other disciple, had a very special calling in his life. Um, but to Peter, Jesus said, Upon this rock I shall build my church, making him one of the most influential people in the primitive church at that time. Um, and he even said that to him after Jesus having rebuked him so many times and even after telling him that he would be denying him before sunrise and things get even more interesting um, in uh, verse 31 verse 31 says no Peter declared emphatically even if I have to die with you I will never deny you and all the others vowed the same he said no he stood up to Jesus and he said no. And he said it emphatically, which means forceful, in a forceful way. Like I said, I work at a preschool and um, I work with ages two to six years old. And I see a very repeating quality in all of them, which is their, their, um, their ability to confidently say no when they shouldn't. And it reminded me of Peter. You know, Peter wanted to stand out like the leader he was. He wanted to make sure that everyone around him knew he was serious about proving Jesus wrong. And, and he, didn't do this, uh, to, he didn't do this on purpose. He just loved Jesus so much that it was hard for him to process that one day he'd be denying Jesus, the, the same person he loved so much. So he made sure to show off to everybody. Even if I have to die with you, Right there, he vowed his life. He pledged his loyalty to Jesus. And all the others vowed the same. 
you know, like small children, one, one of them says something, the other wants to repeat whatever they said, even though they don't know what they're talking about. And then later on in, in, in that same chapter, we see that Peter is uh, cursing and vowing on his own life that he never met Jesus before, and all before the rooster crowed twice. It wasn't until then that Peter broke down into tears, and he realized what he had done. So imagine your worst day ever that you've ever experienced. Peter was having it exactly like that. He thought that he would never be able to see Jesus or talk to Jesus and and ask him for forgiveness again. He realized that his big old blabbermouth was the weakness all along that caused his betrayal and that his self-righteousness allowed him to be like that. But God has a way of using our weaknesses so that he can glorify through us. And we don't just simply state, less of me, Lord, more of you. We live it. Amen? Amen. We, we get caught up in thinking, God can only use my, my talents. God can only use my strengths and my level of knowledge. But sometimes those things just cause us to think that it's through our strength and through our degrees hanging on the wall that we got something done. Oh, the only reason I got a promotion is because I finally got my bachelor's degree done. No, no. That's not the only, the, only, the only reason. But it's different when God uses our weaknesses because there's no way that we could ever take credit for God using something that was broken. And now I want to share something with you about my personal life. You see, ever since high school, I always avoided public speaking. If I had to choose between doing a project and having to present it or writing like a five-page essay and not having to present it, I would choose the five-page essay. And even in, in, in college, um, I had the option between choosing between a very easy public speaking class or a very writing-intensive English course, and I chose the writing-intensive English course. And now, uh, as an adult-ish, in school of ministry, they announced that um, everybody would have a turn doing a small preaching uh, every class. And I looked up the schedule and I, was, and I saw my name and I was like, that day I'm not going to come. <laughs> I was already trying to come up with an excuse. Um, I ended up preaching, so I, I did my part. But God kept speaking to me and, and said, I need to use your weakness for this. But your weakness is not public speaking. And so I was like a little confused and, and put back. And I said, then what is it? And then I discovered a bitter root. The, the spirit brought to my memory in, in, uh, when I was in third grade. A friend of mine came, came up to me and she said, Jackie, why, why do you always like start speaking in Spanish sometimes in the middle of conversations? And I'm like, in Spanish? I've been talking to you in English this whole time. And she's like, oh, well, it sounds like Spanish. And so that brought kind of a, a self-consciousness to my life. And I would go home. I remember going home that day, getting my dad's dictionary. And I took it out, and I started reading words and trying to memorize words and learning how to use them, how to write, how, how to use them in, in, in a conversation. Um, and then <clears throat> forward to me in middle school, um, there was a, a movie that had just come out. And it was a very, very weird movie. I remember it's called Napoleon Dynamite. Very old movie. But that movie has, um, 
I'm not sure. I've never seen really the whole movie, but there's a Mexican actor in there that has a that has a um, an accent. And one of their friends turns to me and she says, "Jackie, you talk exactly like him with that accent." And I felt this self consciousness about speaking, among other things. This this was what caused me to to hide myself. I never spoke openly in class discussions. If there was a debate that had to go on in maybe a history class, I would just be neutral so I wouldn't have to say anything. Um, I had the fear of being made fun of because of the way I spoke. And the enemy had been trying to use those fears to keep me shut up. And then I read Jeremiah 1.9 that says, I will put my words in your mouth. And then several people started coming into my life and speaking into my life about my purpose. Because this year I really wanted you know, the Lord to, to show me what my purpose was going to be. And I said, Lord, use my weakness to glorify yourself. Because there's no way that I can do this with my own strength or my own knowledge. I said, Lord, I can write up a pretty sermon. I, I can write a 10-page thesis statement about Mark chapter 14, but I cannot go up there. So when you put your words in my mouth, then I'll know that it's not because of what I can do, but what you can do through me. And I said, Lord, if you use Peter's blabbering to convert over 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, then you can use my weakness. And he can use your weaknesses too to redeem you, to set you free, to fulfill your purpose. And I want to close by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 to 10. And I would like you to close your eyes for, for the first part. As if you're receiving this, this word from Jesus himself. Jesus wants to let you know my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so now the Apostle Paul keeps going on and, and he says, So now I am, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I encourage you today to not be afraid of having weaknesses. We all have them. Don't, don't try to fix yourself before coming to Jesus because you think that's the only way that Jesus wants you. You'll never finish trying to fix yourself. Instead, realize that God is calling you now just as you are to go through a transformation because we're not going to stay the same. We may have weaknesses. God may want us now how we are, but we're not, we're not meant to stay the same. We're meant to go through a transformation. And he'll lead you step by step. And I know this for sure because that's what he's doing in my life right now. But we need to take that first step of surrender and say, Jesus, I'm here. Take me as you are. I'm willing 
to go through a transformation and I'm willing to surrender. Amen.